Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. Did you ever watch The Twilight Zone? God, remember The Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember, he, he, he loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was oh, down on yeah, basic glasses. What about the mannequins that got two weeks off and turned into humans, and they were allowed to go out and shop for two weeks on their own, and then this one came back, and it was over two weeks, and the other mannequins went, come over here for a minute, and turned her into plastic. You, you want to see something really scary? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Zoning Out. I'm Christopher Feinstein. John Tax. Hey, wait, your turn. <clears throat> Frank Bonacci. Hey, I'm Judd. Why did what happen, Judd? I don't know, man. <laughs> hey, I'm Judd. <laughs> Why I got excited. That? I got excited, and then Frank went, and I forgot the order. <sighs> Hello. We are here today to discuss season one, episode eight, with an air date of November 20th, 1959. Time enough at last. Classic. This is a big one. This is it's amazing how early it comes too, man. Yeah, crazy. Like I knew it was coming, but it's like this is the one. This was one of my cliche picks when we first started the pod. Yeah, this is one that has such cultural saturation, probably more so than any other episode. Maybe is this yeah. the defining? Do you think in most, if you had to pick one that most people would know? Yep, this is the one. I think it is. When you have that conversation with people, like, you know, that casual conversation about Twilight Zone, it's like, oh, yeah, there's the one with the glasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to the point where it's even referenced in the opening of the movie, like of uh, the Twilight Zone movie, where they bring that up because it's like, yeah, everybody talks about this episode. Doesn't Burgess do the narration for the movie? Yes, he, he does. does. Reason? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Burgess is an MVP of this series, as we'll see. That's got to be on purpose because of this episode. Of course. That's, yeah, I mean, that's why this episode's probably so ingrained in people's mind. You couldn't get Rod Serling back to narrate, obviously, for the movie. It's like, they, they, they really said, what's the next best thing that people associate with Twilight Zone? And they said, yeah, good old Burgess. Yeah. Is this the first one that was adapted from another story? I think um, so. Maybe. I, I want to say yes. All the others Maybe. were just Serling, right? Yeah, I think so. There's no source material. I have that it was adapted from a short story written by Lynn Venable. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. appeared in a January of 53 edition of sci-fi magazine called If, Worlds of Science Fiction, seven years before this episode. Wow. So he must have been like having this in his pocket for years. Like, you know, as we all do, we read something, we'll go, oh man, I'd kill to adapt this. And that oh, must yeah. have been sitting in his pocket for a long time. Just like, man, if I had a chance, I'd adapt the shit out of this. And then he got his chance, I guess. That's what I'm assuming happened. Yeah. I think so. Should uh, we give a quick this plot? Is... Yeah. Should I? Uh, I mean, you yeah. can... it's it's barely a plot. It's the one where Burgess Meredith at the end, the glasses. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you just have to say that. Yeah. So, Henry yeah, Bemis you... loves to read. The only problem is that he can't find neither the time nor the place to enjoy his pastime. At work... His boss let him know in no uncertain terms that he is not to read during the workday hours. At home, his shrewish wife won't even let him read a newspaper, let alone a book. One day, he sneaks down to the vault in the bank's basement to read a bit, and suddenly, 
there is a huge explosion above. He emerges to find the world destroyed in a nuclear holocaust. He does find books from the library, and he sees a great deal of reading time ahead of him, except for one small unintended event. The breaking of his glass is the end. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my favorite things. It's funny. This is the kind of thematic material that I get off on from the show. Because, of course, we're dealing again with isolation. Because, you know, it's, it's Twilight Zone. And I guess that's it's the isolation show. But <laughs> this is the my, a great twist episode. The great twist ending where it's the, the moral of the story is that sometimes the universe just says... Fuck you. For no yeah. reason. You did nothing. You did nothing to deserve this. No. You, you, it's just the universe went, fuck you, dude. And that's... Careful what you wish for. Yeah. Oh, there's that, too. I've never been so angry watching a television show. Just for <laughs> the way he was treated. Yeah. I wish this episode so would have been called Faked Home Invasion and someone would have murdered this man's <laughs> wife. And just, I hated that woman with a passion. It's going to say oh, the universe said, fuck you, the day of his wedding. Oh, my God. Henry! Yes, dear, I'm in the living room. You want more coffee or don't you? No, no, thank you, dear. Well, then why don't you tell me that? And don't sneak off into the living room to bury yourself in newsprint. I think we've been over this quite enough, Henry. I won't tolerate a husband of mine sacrificing the art of conversation. I watched this with my, uh, my wife, and I just looked over at her scowling periodically. It's like, <laughs> if you ever talk to me. <laughs> well, he was so excited to read this poetry book, and when all the pages were black, Just soul-crushing. I was so mad. I also say it's a waste of time. Helen! Helen, don't do that for Helen! Please don't do that! Uh so he's mad. a real shim and eat this guy, though. He's got to fight yeah. back a little bit. Hey, listen, you know, he's, he's a, a beaten man. He probably fought back, you know, in his past, but yeah, so he he's got older left. too there. His manager does have a pretty, listen, I have to say, you, you know, I got a point. You, you got kind of got a point. It's like you can't just be sitting around reading, you know, while you work. That's kind of a, a weird thing. I, I don't have time. My wife, it's like, listen, don't bring it. Don't bring it here. Oh, don't bring it. Here. Don't make your problems <laughs> my problems. You'll henceforth devote your time to your job and forget reading, or you'll find yourself outdoors on a park bench reading from morning till night for want of having a job. Do I make myself perfectly clear? Oh, that's perfectly clear, sir. It's just that, uh... Just that what, Bemis? Make it quick and get back to your cage. <clears throat> it's just that my wife won't let me read at home. Don't bring it here, dude. Come on. I wish the episode had more of that, because the wife is so unbearable. Yeah. Spoiler, so this episode could have been a 10. With some minor tweaks. The wife is the first tweak. Yeah. She's sure. such a villain. She's a monster. It's like so over the top. If you if you replace her with some sort of subtlety or give him another situation where he just wants to read but he can't, if you just take that out or modify it a little bit, this episode, it's so close to being a 10. It's so close. Swap henpecked husband with the demands of modernity uh just the you don't have time for anything like those kind of pleasures of cause of our fast modern lifestyle that might have been a little better i i mean yeah. again i think i would have enjoyed that more at least you know just because it's just a henpecked husband and it's just like yeah i guess that sucks just have a backbone dude it's funny to I hate to play like monday morning quarterback but 
on on a classic. <laughs> but, that's that's the thing. I I'm I'm not going to be Captain Hindsight while we talk about this series. I'm really not going to try to do that. But the only reason I'm doing it for this one is because it's so close to being a ten. Yes. Because because the second half is so great and so iconic. Excellent. Uh, not just in just uh, writing and performance, dude. That's a fucking killer art direction and filmmaking. Killer. The yeah, last yeah. shot is gorgeous. Yeah. Like cinematic. Like holy yep. shit. John uh, John Bram, right? That's how you pronounce his name. Bram Brom. Brom. The director. He was. He won a director's guild award for this episode. Oh wow! In oh, 1960. Cool. Yeah. Our nitpicks aside, can you imagine the audience in 1959? Because this is culturally, this is up there with Luke. I am your father in terms of twists that rocked generations. Yeah. Like, this hmm. is, uh, I see, you know, like, he's Bruce Willis has been dead the whole time. I'm just going to ruin every twist for every movie. Screw him. If you haven't seen it. Evan Spacey is Kaiser Sose. Right. This is that level of cultural impact, if not more so than any of those. Well, you guys asked when we started, and I named this one. I mean, I'm sure I saw this when I was like six or seven, and I remembered it. So that tells you a lot. And wow. as a kid, it, you're watching it just as, wow, apocalypse. I'm the only one left. That's a wild image. And that sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree with you, John. The first half is a little heavy-handed. Listen, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to nitpick too much. It's just yeah. she was so so antagonistic. I mean, like, socio, like a monster. Like, you can't, like, dude, like, call <laughs> yeah. the police. This is abuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did wonder, I don't know if I'm skipping ahead too much. Um, she's going to kill you. Get out, Jerry, Perry, get out of there. She's going to kill you. <laughs> like, she's like Perry's wife and fucking Arthur. Hi, Linda. Can I come in? Don't you hate Perry's wife? Jesus, she's that <laughs> bad. <laughs> Don't you hate Perry's wife? Uh, so this was a rating success, and its initial airing became an instant classic, remains one of the best remembered and best loved of the Twilight Zone, as one of the most frequently parodied. This is embedded in the culture now. Oh, yeah, it's referenced constantly. So we were eight episodes. This is the eighth episode. So the show's probably doing okay up to this point. Now you mm -hmm. have that this is... I hate to use this in an example, but it, this is the show Save the Cheerleader, Save the World moment. Oh, my <laughs> oh God. God. Frank. What the hell, Frank? Where everybody is now talking about the show. For good or for Heroes? ill. I hate that show, but I just had to make a reference to it because it's like that was the a big moment where now everyone's talking about the show. How do you talk about robot feet and heroes? <laughs> <laughs> you make a lot of references to shows you supposedly hate, Frank. But I've watched a ton of. That's the Your problem. Go-to quotes are like, yeah, you always apologize and like this is from something I hate. <laughs> I mostly hate watch things because I hate myself. <laughs> is really this was Sterling's favorite episode? Mm, wow, his personal favorite out of all the ones that he's uh, written. It was ranked number twenty-five in TV Guide's hundred most memorable memorable moments in television. Yeah. This is an, one of the most iconic things ever put on television. What is this? Like 60 years and change. Still, like, still going. Like, this is yeah, a I mean, system. This, this is a the system amount of seller. references. Yeah. There's, so what hits you about this episode watching it now? Because it still hits so, hard for me. But I wanted totally his wife way. to fall off a building is what hits me the hardest. <laughs> right. Besides could, the wife. I could I'm, not, I'm happy the H-bomb hit because she's dead. <laughs> I hope it landed I, right in the mouth, <laughs> right in the blabber mouth. <laughs> I feel like I can relate to just not having time to do things. Past times I like, life gets so busy. You want to kill Allie? 
<laughs> no, no. You know what's really heartbreaking about how beaten he is? Because after the, the middle narration, this is one of the only few episodes that have a, a Sterling middle narration. Right after it, he's looking for his wife. Where are you, Helen? Yeah. Was there another episode we did recently where they did the middle narration a little bit? Yeah, was it? it was... Uh, uh, the one where the guy... The gig young one. I don't remember. But, but this one, I understood like why they did Walking that. distance. Like, yeah. They had a little... like They needed to fill some narrative gaps. Like I guess you could see they got into editing. It's just like, we need to explain a couple things here. Just have you know the dulcet tones of Serling's. He's like, don't worry, guys. I'll smooth over any cracks. <laughs> with that pleasing baritone of his what's to say oh what, what stuck out for me this episode the what hits the, you about it because it hits me differently when i watch it now uh the art direct i mean on an aesthetic level i was really blown away especially the last like on front of the foot like that's a beautiful art direction like i really love i actually have a weird thing for a post-apocalyptic uh post-apocalyptic you son of a bitch mouth, post-apocalyptic imagery. This is the, some of the best pre-Mad Max post-apocalyptic imagery the, in the biz. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautifully looking episode. I mean, how can you compare it to really anything else? What would have dealt with that type of setting, an apocalyptic setting prior to this? Uh... No, but, you know, you, you, I don't, I mean, the first episode, but that's not really apocalyptic. It's just kind of no one's around. This one, you're actually seeing the destruction and the... Well, the A-bomb was on, you know... The bomb was on everybody's minds in the 50s. So there's a lot of science fiction. This fiction movies that show like the, I mean, Godzilla <laughs> is really some of the most potent post A-bomb uh, imagery that, like, you know, they had going back then. But like, uh, yeah, walking around a nuclear fallout wasteland, though, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there has to be because that's like such a that's on people's minds a lot then. It, it cre every science fiction movie like was about it it's like you know they testing has made this it just made everything bigger <laughs> and shittier but was oh. there anything that actually showed after the bomb drops to actually be in that world i have no idea I, it's gotta be I, if there I, was I, I don't know what it was i can't yeah. think of it all if it does exist i don't know time machine hadn't come out yet no i mean when i watch this episode now the thing that's cool to me or the thing that i think about at least is the idea of like being off technology at all and how we're losing the value of boredom, just in general, how important boredom is, just to like, let your mind wander. I mean, I know, like, when people talk about why TV and movies and entertainment is getting worse, I think a huge part of it is people don't know how to be bored. And that's where you think of original thoughts. So when I see this guy, and he's so excited to be alone to read, in my brain, I think, oh, I that resonates for me, because when I write, I need to essentially isolate myself to some extent and not listen to all the stuff going on around me, but try to actually think about new ideas, new concepts. Let my stream of consciousness just run for a while, which is increasingly hard to do, yeah. right? Just the idea of like finding quiet and peace to let your mind wander for a minute, which most people, it's gonna get harder and harder for people to do. It's like a drug, you know? It's like if you take away someone's phone, it's, it's like taking away their needle, and that's only gonna get worse. Yeah. So when I watch this now, I think about just the value of boredom and how that's just like eviscerating from society. It's important to, to live in your own head, like at some points, just because there's fun stuff in there. I think it's also people don't want to be in their own minds for too long because they're increasingly dark places the older you get. Uh, <laughs> but if you learn how to, like, I don't think people need, but you need that skill on how to navigate through that. And I don't think people are losing that. I, I think you're like, to your point, it's, yeah, it's just like, yeah, you kind of, 
gotta deal with yourself a little bit. And you can't do that when you're connected to others, like in to some degree at all times, you can't you got to be able to like work stuff out in your head, like maybe, maybe I should talk to my awful wife about about boundaries. (laughs) 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 About how that's not cool. This is my time, not our your our time. We need to establish those things, (laughs) ma'am. Right, right. I did wonder if I don't know if they could have done this. I'm sure if he brought, if, I'm sure if Serling proposed this, they would have shut it down. But if the second half of this had essentially been the silent film, because mm. it's it's very expositional. Oh, that would have been interesting. Almost to me, it's like almost to the detriment of the episode. He's mm. constantly talking, essentially narrating the action for the audience. And I get it. I understand why you would put that in creatively. But if the second half of this was a silent film and he's just walking around, that would have been amazing. They get better. I know there's a couple episodes coming up where they they're better at that aspect. I think they, you know, it's just it's still in its fledgling steps. The show, like how weird can we get? Because they deal with post-apocalyptic settings again. Spoilers later on in the show, and they get very they get more comfortable with telling the story visually. A good example, jumping ahead, is one of my favorite episodes with Charles Bronson, uh, two, with him and Elizabeth Montgomery. That's a very a lot of that's played wordlessly. Again, these are big cons. Like, you know, it's 59. They're saying, like, I don't know how much the audience can understand. You know, like, they might need that. Like, I think... That's what know, it was. Like, yeah. It's the best ending to an episode ever? The most, uh, probably jaw-dropping. I mean... Where it's just like, uh, what? What the fuck yeah, just happened? There's few episodes there's... I remember the first time watching it. Like, this is one of them. Because I that feeling of, oh is yeah. so huge and it's, ha- it's a haunting finale it's just it's not fair it's not fair that's not fair that's not fair at all there was time now there was was all the time i needed it's not fair that's <laughs> not fair <laughs> You know, it's not fair. That your rotten wife treated you that way. Yeah, it is fair. I was paying, the bomb uh, was, was dropped on her. <laughs> <laughs> I was paying a lot of attention to the glasses throughout the whole episode. And he's real like, he's throwing them around and he's taking them off. And if you, if you, if you notice, when he puts them down, he's kind of rough with them. <laughs> well, we know you those glasses. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, the moral of this, pretty much the episode. Be careful what you wish for and uh, don't take your possessions. Always have a second pair. Always have a second pair, right? <laughs> it's really interesting how many times he can talk about how human connection is the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like the same moral, but just told in wildly different ways. I said this sh- this episode could have dealt more with the, the trying to cope with the modern life, but that's what the show's been about so far mm. when you really look at it. That's what the Gig Young episode, the great episode, the episode where the guy goes home again is about. Just like it's... Walking distance. It's, walking distance it's just there's a lot more pressure like you know this is where we really start like technology starts becoming a force in our lives is in the late 50s and we've seen the excesses of it with the a-bomb and it's all uncharted territory so everybody there's a lot of fear about like like where modern living's going and i hate to say it they're not all unfounded those fears yeah Hmm. nope yeah this was this was a cruel one this was one of those endings that you, we, we've mentioned before. It's like, it can get dark. 
And the, you know, as a kid, these are the ones you you waited to see. It's so, what a gut punch, because you do feel like it's Burgess Meredith. I think people know by this point the like uh, know who he yeah. is. He's well, like certainly well, was he's... excited to have him on. Oh yeah! Oh yes, yeah. he, he was babbling. He's like, guys, you, you won't believe <laughs> in the teaser for this, and you like him. Like you know, he's, he's somebody. He's very sympathetic. Like looking, you just he's you feel so bad for him, and it's just like he finally got what's coming to him, and it's like. Nah. Universe like, says nay. <laughs> he kind of did get what was coming to him because of how detached he was from just everything except his laser-focused need to read. It's like yeah. you, you know, who knows? He, you know, he was neglect. You know, maybe he was the one. Maybe the maybe his wife being such a shit to him was founded. You know, you see, his boss was like, "I'm tired of this guy. This guy just reading a book or trying to count money. What are you doing? We run a bank here. This isn't a charity." Hmm. Interesting. It is kind I of thought of it that way. I mean, she's yeah, she's tough to watch, but he cares about the books more than people. And at the he end, might, she might right. He might have brought her there. She was probably yeah. a lovely lady at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it also made me a little uh, tearful for libraries. Oh, is that still used? Do kids go to libraries? You know, who goes I don't, to I don't libraries think, I don't a think lot. Kids. Teachers do a lot. Yeah, Allie. Allie has to go to the library. Yeah, yeah. Loves the library. But what about kids? Because like we had to go to libraries. Remember, remember like works cited. Hmm. Like you just Uh, had pre-internet days. And there is a lot of that. Like there is a lot of like books have been fighting against the modern world for a long time, and it's just it's constantly losing. (laughs) It's just you just when you think books can't lose anymore, they keep on losing in terms of like the market uh, share. Yeah. It's funny, too, because I read so much more than I used to, especially mm-hmm. fiction. And it's like the world is going against that. But going yeah, back to the Unplugged thing, it's so nice to just reading, not be on your phone or TV. You just, you're going to get something out of it. You're going to be more creative. You're going to think better. It's good for your body. It is. It's, it's enga- it engages you on a level that other media can't and that you have to do some work. It's interactive. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, the right. whole, I mean, if he just had Audible back then, none of this would be an issue. <laughs> yeah. What I use because my eyes aren't what they used to be, and I I hit audiobooks more and more. It's just because you see the size of these things. It's like that's not. <laughs> I need them. See, I'm not smart enough to listen to audible fiction. I need to read it with a pen. That's how I remember stuff. Otherwise, really? it just goes yeah. one ear out the other. Yeah, I'm too too stupid to. You got to focus. It, it is a thing it's you have to get into a real focus zone like it, it's hard you slip out of it a little like a lot easier than when you're reading like you know eye reading <laughs> when for me yeah no it, it's for everybody like i slip out of it but it's it there is a discipline to it to really stay focused and it, it really yeah. is a it's just like i gotta focus like and you'll be surprised like when you do it when you're driving it's amazing how it just eats time oh yeah like more so than oh anything. i can't be in the car without an audiobook yeah, yeah. It, it, Especially it, like, like with my job, my job's so monotonous. I'm just fucking stacking shit and moving things around on like a fork truck and whatnot. And I have my audiobooks on constantly. You know what? Actually, because Frank can attest to that. For a long time, until somewhat not too long ago, my scripts were extremely dialogue heavy. There wasn't a lot, ton of description. Because in my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm mean, I got to be a co-producer on this, so I can't be too descriptive because that means I'm not to pay to be specific. And why do that? We can figure out later. Mm. And then I listened to the audiobook of The Stand. Oh, it's fucking And I so thought, great. holy oh, that's shit. That's a good one. Description is really important. 
which sounds incredibly stupid, which makes sense because I'm not that smart. But <laughs> that like that changed how I approach scripts. Now I yeah. love description. Now that's my favorite part because that's it's like between the weed stuff that builds the world. So and now that it's like book. flipped. And yeah, because right, because it's so it's much fun just to all description. I mean, and Grover Gardner does an a fucking amazing job now. Fantastic job. Yeah. One of the best. Uh, I, I mean, especially the oh, size yeah. of it. I think it took me 48 hours to listen to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's long. I appreciate the economy of a description in your uh, the older scripts. I do. I just like, don't you shouldn't knock yourself. I always thought I thought that was like, a, like, you know, I always appreciated that's like, wow, that's a good choice. He's just going just right to it. Just like, yeah, uh, so bare bones. No, but I appreciated it because it's like, all right, great. Don't get, but I've read the inverse of that where I, I do it. I got to send you a great script, like the best bad script in my collection. You, you'll love how badly this guy describes, like the way this guy just like sets the table, like for the descriptions. He's so bad. It's amazing. Oh, I love it. So 75 best supporting actor Oscar nom for Dave the Locust. And then the next year in 76, Best Supporting Actor Oscar nom again for Rocky. Back-to-back mm. -back years for Burgess Meredith. Hmm. And then... And then we all know how that turns out for Mick and Rocky Three. Mm. Then he says, Would you like Licky Dicky? Come on, I want to lay you. <laughs> the, the grumpier old men <laughs> blooper credit reel is an all-timer for me, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you ever see Day of the Locust, anybody? I don't think no. so. Uh, it's good. It's, uh, what's his name? Walter Peck and uh, Karen Black. A, a very fun, brutal. Well, not fun at all. It's very. It's one of those. Wow, that's depressing and sad. Mm. <laughs> that's the seventies was just rife with. It's just like you couldn't, you couldn't have a seventies movie where everything, like everything that the characters wanted, gets ripped from them in the most hellacious way possible. <laughs> mm. And that's the golden age of film. Oh, it really is. I think there's a connection there. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. And the eighties does the flip of that. Yes, actually, just give everybody what they want. Yeah, we know what you want. Here it is. Yeah, handy all the time. <laughs> that's, <laughs> and that's what we're at now. Just candy. Everything's candy. There's no substance. There's no food. It's just like, dude, I've got diabetes. <laughs> my foot, my oh, foot yeah. came off. Yeah, it's just Kool Aid twenty four seven. Yeah. And this, uh, is... this won't be the last time we see Burgess Meredith, mm -mm. by the way. He will come back. No, he yeah. shows up a lot. Like I said, MVP of the show. Yeah, he's got four. This is not the last time you're going to see this director either. He, he got... teams up again with Burgess Meredith for Mr. Dingle the Strong and then has fucking ten more episodes after that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he's made after this episode. I mean, it's yeah. just like he's just like you just this is the show that probably I'm assuming because just based on. You know, I could see this catching with a nice crowd, but this is the water cooler moment for the show where everyone's talking about it the next day. Yeah. This has to yeah. be. This is like the invention of the water cooler moment. Yeah. And then his glasses were busted, Marjorie. <laughs> Ooh, some thick fucking lenses. Holy shit. A man was seeing it back in time. That guy wasn't allowed to drive a car, was he? I hope not. So what, what did you guys give it? I have it at a nine. Uh, this is going to be another eight. Another eight for me. Yeah, another eight. I think it's a nine for me as well. I like it at a, at a nine. I mean, I love Burgess Meredith. I celebrate the man's entire career. Even fucking his his cameo in Hot to Trot, I even celebrate. Oh, my God. Hey, he was also Puff the Magic Dragon, the narrator Puff. for Puff the Magic Dragon. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's great. I mean, it's and this is as classic as the show gets. Uh, 
should I give it? Yeah, maybe I'll give it a nine. I, I think just. I'm going to stick with an eight because I know there's episodes that we're going to talk about that I really love. In overall enjoyment, I give it an eight. But for how iconic it is, I mean, it's a 10. I mean, it just like, you know what I mean? There's an asterisk there for me because it's just like, this is an icon. This is the parrot sketch of the show. Of the show. Yeah, this is the episode everyone knows. <clears throat> Even if you've never seen the, the Twilight Zone, you know this episode. 100%. Yeah. It's an all-timer off the board. We're making headway. Yeah, what's, yeah. yeah, let me see what happens next on the show. I forget. We got some good ones coming still. I mean, seven and eight back to back was, that was yeah. like Titanic. That's a, yeah, that's a big, oh, we got the first Chucky Beaumont written episode coming up next. Charles Beaumont, who is very good, uh, you know, big Twilight Zone writer. Oh, get to talk about him. That's awesome. I got to put some notes together for that. These two were so good. It makes me so much, I was already excited to keep watching, but this makes me so much more excited. Because this feels almost like if you ever go to like a day long concert with a bunch of different bands, right? It's like there's the two bands that everyone knows. You're excited to see them live, but you're but the coolest part about going is to f discover the the one tiny band. You're like, oh, this band's awesome, and we're gonna get those episodes where it's like, oh, this is my new favorite band, episode twenty three. I mean, we've already hit how many? Okay, let me see how many episodes I've watched before. We're up to eight episodes, so these are episodes I've watched before. Um, where is everybody I'd seen? believe no i don't think i had this might be the only episode i've seen prior maybe i've seen one for the angels oh of the ones we've done of the ones we've done yeah yeah I i'm not gonna I'd go ahead walking distance before yeah i don't remember this is the only one i can definitely say i've seen yeah yeah this one i've seen too yeah safely yeah i i mean yeah i may have seen the other ones i concrete no i've watched this episode and i think this is the first one because this is such a lightning rod moment yeah. I mean, this is tied for the highest rated episode in season one. This oh. and uh, The Monsters to Do on Maple Street. Oh, I can't. I'm so excited mm. for that. Have too. the same rating, followed mm, very that? closely by uh, A Stop at Willoughby. So we got Willoughby. those two episodes still coming in season one. Weren't those That's the episodes crazy. you guys mentioned in our first yeah. episode? Yeah. Yeah. A Stop at Willoughby is probably my favorite episode of the series. Can't wait to talk about that. But that's in flux now. Which is the one that's that you guys all... said was like the mist? Oh, uh, Monsters. Uh, Monsters do a Maple, Street. Maple Street. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's it's episode the one that, yeah. thirteen, I think. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Oh, yeah. Shot that down right quick. Twenty-two. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I just happened to be on it. Uh, yeah, I'm. Ex I'm so excited for that. Now, start. Uh, other writers start showing up. Which should be interesting because you got two. You got Charles Beaumont coming up. You got some stories based on, and then just flat out written by Richard Matheson, who's a mm. giant, mm. a giant in television writing. Yeah, yeah, we got some goodies ahead of us. Listen, nice little snacks. Yeah, ah, oh, this was good. Very excited. The hell of a show this Twilight Zone. Boy, boy, howdy, is it? <laughs> it's out and a half, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid seven. <laughs> no one knows what that is. Oh yeah, that's a very, that's very in jokey. Should have T-shirts made. Solid seven. Solid seven. <laughs> Imagine how pissed would that kid be? This is like some kid that like Justin knew in high school that used to just say everything was a solid seven. Just constantly, yeah, oh yeah. We have a go out at that point. Have a good night. Have a good night. You know, yeah. Smoke a bowl. 
<laughs> go hookah bar, smoke a bowl, go to the diner, solid seven night. <laughs> solid seven night. And then we just started just taking and just saying it for everything. Oh, yeah. This, once this, I heard that story, I said, oh, boy, that's ripe for taking. Do you realize that guy's living his life right now? And some offhand thing he said, like, 15 years ago, people routinely use their just day to day. Yeah. I say it around these parts, right, honey? <laughs> she nodded. I swear to God she did. And now, Mr. Serling. Next week, we enlist the considerable literary talents of Charles Beaumont and invite you to join us in a strange and shocking dream. Our story is called Perchance to Dream and stars Richard Cotty. I hope you'll be able to join next week's excursion into the Twilight Zone. Thank you and good night. <laughs>